Hello and welcome to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're available beyond the FM dial at RadioNorthland.org and TuneIn. You can listen to us live on TuneIn and RadioNorthland.org. But if you happen to miss this episode live, don't fret, don't worry about a thing because we have Rasslin' Memories in the archives. Our SoundCloud page is there and ready to go and you can download episodes from the past six seasons now. That's at RadioNorthland.org slash Wrestling Memories. And now as we enter into our seventh season, you know, it's a great way. I, we, we, my co-host found a fantastic guest today to really usher in a new season, uh, a new name, I guess, with the new then and now added to the title. It's uh, always nice to have him back and ready to go. And he is such a trooper today. As we are recording this, he's in his mobile studio, as we refer to it as sitting in some uh, real real warm Texas summertime weather. I want to give a big welcome to the real trooper of, uh, of wrestling memories then and now, down there in the deep part of Texas, deep in the heart of Texas, Mr. Mr. Michael McCurdy, the grizzled veteran, my- Michael McCurdy. Mike, how are you doing in the mobile studio today, my friend? I'm doing good, man. It's about 90 degrees here in Fort Worth, but you know, it's summertime. We're used to that now, so... And I am glad to be here to start the seventh season. As you said, wrestling memories then and now. I can also throw out, we are now through. You can go to our official Facebook page. Yes. And we will have links to all the different shows, including current episodes available right there on the Facebook page. We update daily, so... We'll, we'll send some of our fans out that way as well. Yes, indeed. We're starting to build our uh, audience there. So if you're listening and uh, you're not a friend yet, go over there and like the uh, Rasslin Memories then and now on Facebook. You know, Mike, you, f- you really came through this week. Uh, we have a, a really a, a wonderful guest. This is what we refer to as a main event in, in the pro wrestling business. And, Mike, I'm going to give a little bit of an intro and, and, and welcome our guest in. And yes, it's all about this brand new movie that's going to be deb- a big, big premiere coming up uh, July 12th nationwide. Uh, it's for a brand new pro wrestling documentary, and I've been reading about this. I've been reading a lot of the hype. I, I, I'm very excited to see this, even though I won't get a chance to check it out on, on, in July on the big premiere night. I am I am very curious about this uh, film, 350 Days. And uh, a man with who, who has taken some time out of his schedule to uh, talk about the film and what it's all about is the, one of the associate producers of, of the movie. He was also the associate producer of uh, Darren Aronofsky's uh, The Wrestler. 2008 film starring uh, Mickey Rourke. He's here. He's a star. He's a he's a radio, television, online host. He's out from the East Coast, and it's a big first time welcome to Rasslin Memories to Mr. Evan Ginsberg, uh, the associate producer of 350 Days. Thank you so much for taking some time out. This has to be a a real busy time uh, as the days get closer here, leading up to July 12th. Yeah. Anybody that um, promotes anything, <laughs> you learn that it's 24 seven. And you have to live and breathe promotion, and um, it's challenging. It's challenging, but we appreciate your support and, and that very nice introduction. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. It is such a great uh, honor to have you on the program to, to, to talk about this uh, this movie. And uh, I, I've been seeing it on, you know, through social media, plastered all over uh, various forms of it, uh, most notably Facebook. I've been reading a lot and seeing the trailer for, for uh, this movie, and Wow, as far as wrestling documentaries go, I'm looking at the list of people who participated in this. This is a real all-out production, uh, 350 days. And I want to talk about how you got interjected into this uh, documentary. Where did the idea surface? Tell us a little bit of the backstory on how this uh, pro wrestling documentary, 350 Days, got put together. 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, I did The Wrestler. For seven years, we worked on The Wrestler, and it finally came out in 2008. And I was offered many different wrestling projects, and inevitably I turned them down because I just said, you know, it's going to be very hard to top The Wrestler. And um, then this came along. And uh, the gentlemen, the executive producers, Darren Antola, David Wilkins, Fulvio Cesare, they interviewed over 80 wrestlers over five years. And I could, I could tell their hearts were in the right place. And they wanted the title, 350 Days, is, is that during the rock and wrestling connection, that peak Hulkamania mid-80s period with Cindy Lauper and Wendy Richter, Wendy's in the movie, by the way, uh, it exploded, and these guys were literally on the road 350 days a year, and the toll that that took on them physically, on their families, on their marriages, on their psyche, it really hasn't been explored. You know, you see shoot interviews, who was the booker in Chattanooga in 1972, and you're in a dingy hotel room, mm -hmm. and the camera's on the guy's head for two hours. We didn't want to do that. We really didn't. We wanted to do something like the wrestler that would move people, that would move people. And when we brought on board the editor, uh, Michael Burlingame, who worked with uh, Paul McCartney, Mariah Carey, Sting, not the wrestler, the singer, you know, HBO. He was not a wrestling person. And we purposely, purposely said, Mike, make a movie that would make somebody who's never watched wrestling, maybe a little old lady who never cared for it, never understood it, never appreciated it, that would make her cry. And that's what we did. This is about what being on the road for 350 days a year does to your marriage. Some of these guys were divorced three times. You know, how it turns you into an unfaithful husband in many situations. How it turns you into an absentee dad, even though that's the last thing that you want. And that's the kind of things we explored in this movie, besides... The physical toll, you have guys like, speaking of Texas, you have guys like Stan Hansen in this movie, literally showing you his body and, you know, the destruction that decades of pro wrestling wreaks on your body. And it's not all grim. You know, Ox Baker is very colorful and funny, and it's the good, the bad, and the ugly of being on the road 350 days a year. And... You know, this is a long-winded way of saying when they pitched this to me, I said, this really sounds like something I would be interested in doing as opposed to, you know, the endless amount of shoot interviews and things that have kind of been done to death at this point. Mm -hmm. And talk about just how, how how big of a role you had in, in putting putting it all together. I, I mean, your your presence. I mean, the experience that you bring to the table had to be a really an invaluable source in regards to not only uh, you know your knowledge, but your your you know your background and who you know in the pro wrestling business in regards to some of the boys. Well, again, um, you know the the director is not a wrestling person. The uh, the editor is not a wrestling person. The Darren Antola and David Wilkins have promoted wrestling, and 
you know, between the three of us, we had unlimited contacts to say, hey, you know, why don't you be interviewed for this film, you know, and you, you need the contacts. And, and most importantly, you need the, um, they have to trust you. They have to trust you to open up like this. And a lot of these gentlemen are my friends. Um, my mom passed away uh, a year or so ago, and Nikolai Volkov called me. Lanny Poffo called me. You know, these are friends. And, and you know, it, it's, it's almost like sitting in a psychiatrist chair and opening up about, you know, what this business did to you, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, all sides of it. And... Yeah, that's that's what you know. Decades in wrestling, yeah, it opened doors. Basically, just like in the wrestler. In the wrestler, um, as associate producer, I was quote unquote the wrestling guy. I brought in Mickey stunt double, uh, Mickey Rock stunt double. I brought in the ring. I did five casting calls for wrestlers. I brought in Necro Butcher, Ron Killings, Romeo Roselli. Um, there's guys back. There's guys in the locker room that are now huge stars in WWE. At the time, they were with Ring of Honor. I brought in Ring of Honor. You know, basically, my job in both films was to open up doors. And uh, now that the film's done, <laughs> you know, now it's like, hey, would you do me a favor and post this on your social media? You know, now now <laughs> you're getting the wrestlers behind the movie as well. So uh, it's a it's a different role now that it's over. Oh, I, I, I definitely uh, sense a, a little bit of relief there in that. But I want to talk a, a little bit o, o, about some of the guys that were, were featured uh, in this documentary. Uh, you know, some of the guys that really kind of stood out, and, and one of them uh, was, you know, a couple of them we're going to talk about here. One of them was superstar Billy Graham, and you want to talk about a guy whose wrestling career, uh, the, the peaks and the valleys, man, as far as his health oh, yeah. and, and his mental oh, yeah. well-being. I mean, the superstar is uh, is definitely someone that would be a great, great uh, per- grab, and he was uh, for this film. Let's talk a little bit about the superstar. Well, we interviewed over 80 people, and when the smoke cleared, again, the editor is not a wrestling person. He did not know the quote-unquote jobbers or carpenters from the main event guys you know he he just had 80 hours of video in front of him and when the smoke cleared like anything in life the cream rises to the top and bret hart and billy graham became the stars of this movie i mean it's like yin and yang bret hart is very quiet introspective reflective open and honest billy graham also is but billy graham is so charismatic he could read the phone book and you would just be fixated. I mean, riveted. The guy is as charismatic. I'm in my 50s. I've lived in New York my whole life, as you could tell by my accent. <laughs> um, I, uh, I grew up with Billy Graham at Madison Square Garden. And before the pyro, before the blaring entrance music, Billy Graham would walk down the aisle and the building would literally shake. The building would shake. That's how charismatic this guy was. And uh, he is so open and honest, and it's, some of it's very painful, very painful. And um, it's, 
he is is very special, very special. And, and to me, it's, he's a childhood hero, so it meant even that much more to me to have him in this movie. As a kid, you know, Billy Graham was like Superman come to life. Not everybody looked like him in 1976. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Guys, oh, absolutely. Like, my father was a New York City taxi driver, and he said to me as a kid, I'll never forget, he said, you drive a cab, you pick up everybody. He, he said, in New York, everybody's jaded. He said, only three people stop traffic in New York City. He said, Muhammad Ali, who was the most famous person in the world. Julie Newmar, who was a cat woman who at the time had the best body in the world. And superstar Billy Graham. He said, superstar Billy Graham would stop traffic in New York. Cars would literally stop and people would get out and gawk at him. It was like he came from another planet. Today, you know, everybody's fix, fixated on, you know, getting in shape. And, you know, it's a different world today. But 50 years ago, people didn't look like Billy Graham. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. With the, especially with the blonde hair and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then one of the things that became a, a per regular thing in the locker rooms as the 80s moved on in, the, uh, in, the, in their golden age of wrestling uh, was the steroids and, and the, you know, and the drug use. And, uh, and this movie does not uh, shy away from from those issues uh, that, that uh, guys like Bret Hart to a degree and, and Billy Graham had, had to endure, uh, you know, the, the consequences and side effects of, of, of life on the road and, you know, with with the steroids and with the recreational drugs. I mean, that's that's another uh, factor factor in too yeah you know it's interesting uh, again i know a lot of these guys as friends somebody like nikolai nikolai volkov's in the movie he, he's never touched a drug a steroid he doesn't drink he's he, he's a vegetarian uh, you know not everybody people make choices and some make better choices than others and, you know, some of them, it's recreational. Some of them were addicted. Some of them died. I mean, many. I've, I've had friends die in this business. And um, it's a brutal business. I've had wrestlers, friends of mine, say to me, Evan, I'm always in pain. Always in pain. I mean, absorb that. Constantly in pain, 24-7. You know, wrestlers hate the word fake. They cringe. They go... My hip replacement wasn't fake. My bad back isn't fake. My uh, three divorces weren't fake. My kid talking to me isn't fake. It's not fake. They hate that word. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I don't think people really grasp Vince McMahon has you know, basically painted them as superheroes and supervillains and it moves a lot of merchandise. But I don't think they understand that you're away from your family. You're paying your own three meals a day. You're paying your hotels. You're shipping money back to your family. I know, guy, I know guys who were main event guys around the world. They never broke 100 grand. They never broke 100 grand back in the 70s, early 80s. The money came in the mid-80s, but it was a select few that made the money. It's a tough business. It's a brutal business. And, um, and we capture the good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. And these guys couldn't be any more open and honest. And, and part of that is because we have relationships with them. We have longstanding friendships outside of wrestling with them, and uh, many of them, not all. And um, they opened up. They opened up. And it's, I'm proud of it. We're very proud of it. And we think the fans... You know, I think the fans, for the most part, are going to appreciate it. 
Uh, you know, there's always somebody that's going to say, oh, you know, I wanted to see, uh, you know, Ric Flair wrestling in there. You know, you're not, you're not going to have everything in, 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 in a single movie, but we have rare footage. We have rare photographs. Uh, we have footage from Japan that nobody's seen. So it's kind of like uh, if you watch Rocky, you know, you don't expect to see two hours of boxing. You know, there's a story <laughs> as well. Yeah, so. and with all of these guys that you lined up, there had to have been a, uh, a share of them that didn't make the final cut. Now, what's going to happen and what's going to become of, of, of some of that stuff? Has there been any sort of uh, a think tank on what to do with, 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 with these clips uh, of guys that didn't uh, get, get featured on the, the film 350 Days? <laughs> well, we, we had over 80 hours of footage that was edited down to just under two hours. So there's, you know, 78 plus hours of footage out there that easily, uh, we're going to do, do a director's cut that's already been announced because, you know, again, you, you have the, you know, a bond with some of these guys and you almost feel bad. Hey, you know, you're on the cutting room floor. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, so at some point there'll be a director's cut and, you know, there, there could very well down the road be sequels and of course uh way down the road when a dvd comes out there's always dvd extras but we have a lot of extra footage so it's 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 a long-winded way of saying we're we're not quite sure yet because we're so busy promoting this that that's the next step down the line you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm gonna bring uh mike mccurdy the grizzled veteran into the conversation mike uh let's uh have you uh chat a little bit ask some questions uh, for our guest evan ginsburg associate producer of 350 days um, one question I had, um, I know this has been project has been years in the making and I saw the trailer and there was a few people, like I know James J. Dillon was in there. Uh, talked to Jay Dillon many times. You talked about the guys that they were trusting they were honest since it took so long. There was such a large span of time. Was there any point where some of the guys didn't want what they said released? Because they talked a lot about like JJ says in the trailer that he wasn't faithful from the first day on the road, you know, and do you, was there guys who came back and said, Hey, can you not use that? Maybe they were too honest and then realized, you know, they don't want to do that now because maybe things have changed in their life over that time. No, nobody, nobody has had any, you know, reconsiderations. Nobody. I, I think again, if you like and trust the people you're working with, um, you know, it's it's so far it's been a non-issue i mean you know obviously when they're making statements like that they're talking about xx wives you know from from back in the day so uh you know people do change and people uh you know jj dylan's 75 years old now you know you're a different person and uh it's it's kind of um it's the life cycle you know people change over time and he said it because he meant it, and he said it because he felt it was needed to be said for whatever reason. You know, many times when you do interviews, um, I've done radio for almost 30 years, believe it or not, with this Brooklyn accent. And uh, many times when you interview people, it's very cathartic. It's almost like therapy for them. And um, so, no, no, nobody, nobody has said anything as far as please don't show this please don't put that out no not 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 once was there anything during the filming that you saw that you know because you said you've been around this for so long that surprised you was what, what was something that 
you found out that maybe you just were shocked or didn't know about? Um, I've been around this so long that very few things shock me, to be honest. I, I kind of understand. Um, Ox Baker made a point of saying I was making $30 a night. $30 a night. And, you know, part of me was aware that the pay was pretty bad back in the day, but it kind of shocked me that, because I knew Ox at the end, and he, he physically wasn't in great shape at the end, and, you know, all those bumps and all those years took its toll on him, and I'm like, some promoter gave this man $30 to destroy his body. And that, that, that was a little shocking, I, I might say. He said, I made $30 a night, so I worked six or seven nights a week to, to you know, pay the bills. And that's a little um, <laughs> eye-opening, to say the least. One thing I always enjoy is, is I look forward to movies like this and The Wrestler as well. They kind of show a side of wrestling that maybe, as you said, someone who doesn't watch wrestling, they might actually be touched by this. This might bring a tear to their eye. You know, there's been other documentaries, uh, The Price of Fame with Ted DiBiase, Resurrection of Jake Stank Roberts. I enjoy movies like this. I've recommended The Wrestler to numerous people who, you know, they've seen pro wrestling on TV. You know, oh, yeah, John Cena or Hulk Hogan, whoever. But then they watched The Wrestler, and they, were, they didn't realize that that was another side of it. Well, The Wrestler obviously is a fictional movie. It's also, that's real life. I've been in those dressing rooms. I've been at those conventions that you saw in The Wrestler. Um, 350 days. Do you think there's, this movie is going to touch those people that same way? Because, like I said, that was a fictional movie. This is real life. What would you compare the two? And do you think people who don't follow wrestling, is this something that's going to open their eyes and show them kind of a whole new world to it? I mean, obviously, they don't, they're not going to become huge pro wrestling fans. But I've actually shown this movie to friends in the arts. I'm talking poets and musicians who think wrestling is ridiculous and don't understand that it's an art form, and they watch this movie and they were moved by it. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to move people, whether or not they're wrestling fans, and particularly if they're wrestling fans, because you know, you're seeing your heroes from your youth, and not, <laughs> the business has not always been kind to them, and time and aging has not always been kind to them and it's it's eye-opening to a certain extent if you know you turn on wwe it all looks very glamorous you have uh guys you know with six packs six packs of abs and perfect looking women you know and, and it's very upbeat and you know i don't think they see somebody when they're 50 and the arthritis is kicked in uh, on, on a cold rainy day and you know, and they're pushing a broom or they're a security guard or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, things did not end, end up that well. And it, this is not the case for all of them. Guys like Bret Hart are in very good shape financially. And, you know, um, it, but sometimes, like in The Wrestler, it's, uh, it's not a happy end. And it's... Um, Fame is fleeting, and time waits for nobody, and I could throw out ten other cliches, but, you know, what you saw with Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler um, 
we we did five or six rewrites of that script, and part of part of it was because we were on the road every weekend at indie wrestling shows, at wrestling conventions, and I'll tell you quickly a behind-the-scenes story with the wrestler that few people know. I took Aronofsky and the executive producer, which means the money guy, and the uh, screenwriter to a convention, and there was, you know, again, this is going back 10, 10 11 years, there's Lou Albano and um, Mae Young and Mueller and Nikolai and Iron Sheik and a bunch of other guys, and there's like no fans. There's like nobody there. And Iron Sheik's head is on the table. He's literally sleeping. That's how depressing it was. I mean, you had all these legends, and, and the fans were few, few and far between. So the, screen, the, 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 the screenwriter is, like, horrified, like, oh, my God. And he went back, and he added that scene. He added it. And... Johnny Valiant, who was a dear friend of mine, he, he just died tragically. Johnny Valiant did what the Sheik did in, in The Wrestler. His head was down on the table asleep in the middle of this depressing convention. And, um, <laughs> and here's, here's another little tidbit from The Wrestler. I'm on the set that day, and um, Aronofsky gets this smirk, and he goes, Evan, come here. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh, I want you to work the room, walk up to Mickey last, ask him for an autograph and a Polaroid, <laughs> okay? So uh, Mickey walks over to me, whispers in my ear, he goes, just improv it. He thinks I'm an actor. I'm not an actor, okay? So, the, you know, there's 125 people on set. There's giant cameras. And I, I do exactly what Aronofsky says. And I, and I walk up to him and I, I say what I would say to any childhood hero who wrestled i said i loved you as a kid i saw you at a, at the garden madison square garden can i have your autograph and he goes what's your name and i think for a second because we're improv and I, I go evan and it dawns on me i'm playing myself in a fictional movie how surreal this is and he goes how do you spell it and i go e-v-a-n so, so uh, it, it was just very surreal, and uh, we're sitting at the New York Film Festival, Lincoln Center, 2,300 people packed, and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, is looking at the screen, looking at me, looking at the screen, looking at me, and she goes, that's you. And I go, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Bizarre. So, but the point being, getting back to the original point, it's not always glamorous. And sometimes it's downright depressing. And um, we, uh, we captured all sides of it. We, this movie is not grim. This movie, Ox Baker is hilarious in it. And, you know, they all, all of them, interestingly enough, say, I would do it all over again, all over again. They saw the world on the promoter's dime. They... they Wined and dined with kings and queens. Johnny Valiant told me once he wrestled for oil sheiks in Saudi Arabia three in the morning. I mean, they had experiences that few people would ever dream of. And, you know, besides the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But, uh, so we do try to tell all sides of it in 350 days. And I think when the smoke clears, people are going to enjoy it. Oh, I'm gonna. I just want to tell a little story here, and I'll pass it back over to Glenn. You talk about Ox Baker, and I love Ox Baker. I met him back in 2006 
in uh, Las Vegas. And Ox is a character, but also a very kind man, very, very nice man. But uh, when I first met him, I wanted it. I went up and I'm like, you know, Ox Baker, can I have your picture, your autograph, stuff like that? And I got a picture with him. And somebody was walking by. It's a CAC convention. Somebody's walking by and he says, Ox, that looks like your son. Because I had bald head. I had the beard. And Ox mm-hmm. puts his shoulder arm around me and he goes, I can't be this kid's father. I haven't seen his mother in, how old are you, kid? 35. Yeah. 37 years. Yeah. And just right off the bat, that was Ox's reaction to it. He is such a class man. I was so happy to see him in the trailer because people remember Ox Baker from Escape from New York and what he did in the ring. But on the other side of it, such a gentleman and so funny and a very good singer, too. People would not realize that. And, and, and incredibly charismatic. And um, Ox is one of like a dozen people in this movie who have passed. We've done this over five years and uh, Larry Sharp and Don Fargo and Ox and George Steele and Jimmy Snooker and several others are gone. Wolfman from Canada. I saw Bruno Russell, the Wolfman in New York ages ago. Uh, They're all gone. So to a certain extent, uh, J.J. Dillon said to us, he said, you guys are preserving history here. Some of these are the last interviews. It wasn't like everybody was chasing down the Wolfman for an interview. <laughs> so there he is on the, on the big screen. So um, it's, uh, in that sense, we're also very proud that, you, you know, we captured this. And um, it's, um, it's very rewarding to do a film. And at the same time, it's a lot of work, an awful lot of work to get the word out. And, you know, I, it's great that you guys are supporting it. Really do appreciate it. And you, you talk about some of the, the veterans who aren't with, uh, with us anymore. You, uh, another one that was uh, featured uh, in, in the documentary was, uh, and you guys were able to chat with Angelo Savoldi, who was what, 99, 99 years, years old. old at the time. Yeah, talk about living history. Yep, sharp as could be also. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and guys that are still around, but you don't really get to hear too much of, uh, until recently I heard an interview on one of the podcasts uh, that I listened to, was uh, with Don Leo Jonathan. Now, this is a guy that is uh, has ties back to the golden era, of, uh, of the way back golden era of pro- professional wrestling, and, and what a big get that was to have him uh, just to be featured in this documentary as well. And Don Leo Jonathan, people don't realize he's an interesting human being. He's an inventor. He's a scuba diver. You know, besides being one of the greatest big men in the history of the business, I mean, you know, he was ahead of his time. This this man could move for a super heavyweight. He, he you know, back in the day, you know, I, I started going to wrestling in '74. My uh, my first match was Nikolai and Blassie against Bruno and Strongbow at the Garden. And John Lee, Don Leo was from, from that period. And, um, you know, he would wrestle Andre the Giant and Killer Kowalski and, like, you know, Battles of the Giants. And he was tremendous for a guy his size and really, really ahead of his time. You didn't see big guys move like him back then. I don't know. Big lumbering guys back then, you know, super heavyweights, especially in WWF. It was a super heavyweight, super heavyweight territory because, like Bruno was a Superman to begin with, so they needed these monsters to to even, you know, for people to even think they were competitive. 
You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And another guy... That was who, that bread and butter, yeah. Well, yeah, and another guy you also feature whose uh, health has kind of been suffering the last few years uh, was another a big football star in the Canadian Football League and a guy that was uh, fit the bill for, uh, for a big monster to work uh, in the WWF or WWWF at the time, uh, Angelo King Kong Mosca. Yeah, I saw Mosca at the Garden against Backlund main eventing, and he had a big feud with Pat Patterson and... Uh, yeah, Mosco is a big, burly, brawling guy, huge name, you know, especially uh, in Canada and the Mid-Atlantic. And then he came into the, the uh, Tri-WF, and he was, a, he was a big star everywhere he went. And, um, yeah, yeah, fierce, fierce guy. And, uh, and, it, and when you watch the movie, he's very lovable. <laughs> he's with Farmer Pete, you know, the legendary midget wrestler. Mm-hmm. And I think we're still allowed to say midget wrestler, I hope. I, I, think, I, think, I, I think we're okay there. Yeah, um, they still build themselves as midget wrestlers, so I, I think it's not politically incorrect. So, and they're together on film, and they're telling stories and reminiscing, and it, it, it's also like um, a little levity in the middle of you know some of the more serious tales that we tell in the movie mm-hmm. and plenty of great stars featured in 350 350 days uh, including greg valentine tito santana paul mr wonderful orndorff and a guy who uh in very it was in very worked in various uh, incarnations he uh, various characters uh, a guy I, I think is uh was truly one of the greats uh, we're talking about the former mass superstar a member of demolition a machine uh and many other names uh, we're talking about mr bill Eady, and we want to talk about a guy another fountain of information that is still on this earth and, and is able to share uh, another a great example there a shining example is uh, Bill Eady I mean we're talking about the the 1970s uh, and early and well into the 80s uh, the mass superstar was was one of my favorites uh, and now I've been watching him back on on old uh, you know YouTube videos so really kind of getting to know him a little bit more but Bill Eady what a, what a get for this uh, project yeah, I saw Mass Superstar wrestle back when at the Garden twice as well, and he also headlined the Garden, you know, Demolition and one of the Machines, as you mentioned, and uh, he was one of the Mongols going back even further. So uh, he had a very interesting career, all different incarnations, and uh, you know, and and he's he's a school teacher today, very intelligent, well-spoken guy. So anytime you could interview somebody like that, it's great. Because uh, you know he expresses himself beautifully and poignantly, and um, not unlike just, Tito, not unlike Tito and, and Lanny Poffo and guys like that. Oh yeah, Tito's a school teacher now. Tito uh, teaches Spanish in New Jersey and uh, still wrestling. Interestingly enough, <laughs> Tito's still wrestling in his sixties. Nikolai's wrestling at seventy-one. Um, you know, they shift more towards the autographs and the personal appearances, but they're still out there. And they're not out there because they desperately, desperately need money. It's not a Randy the Ram situation. They're there because they love it. They love it. And uh, it's in their blood. And, you know, they, uh, they like being around the fans. And it's, uh, it's, it's Greg Valentine's still wrestling at 69 years old. Still and then- wrestling. That is am- they, these, guys are, these guys are unbelievable. They're like heroes of mine, besides <laughs> being friends. And then you see guys online, too, uh, you know, oh, as far as the injuries and the long-term stuff. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of pictures of Marty Jannetty and his poor feet. I mean, boy, talk about some ring war- wear and tear. 
Yeah, Gennetti, uh, Gennetti has uh, very bad problems with uh, at least one foot. I'm not sure about the other, but I, I actually saw it recently, and he still gets in the ring. He's a trooper. I mean, uh, again, <laughs> it, it's in their blood, you know, it's... Um, Hard, it's hard to walk away when you when you love something, and you know, like, like many of them, many of them have transitioned into good, you know, post career jobs. Nikolai's a building inspector, and like I said, some of these guys are school teachers, and some of these guys really find it difficult to transition. And this is what they know and what they do, and uh you know i i don't think like greg valentine's cut off cut out for a nine to five greg valentine's greg valentine <laughs> you know he is who he is he's colorful he's fun he's like a big kid and you know this is this is his life so he's in the ring or signing autographs or making appearances and i i don't think he, this guy's ever going to work in an office you know <laughs> he's shuffling papers i don't see it well, you know, being a second generation, it, it, you know, it was kind of hardwired in that lifestyle. So it was probably the only really pro wrestling, the only really life he's ever known in the way of being a professional. So, I mean, and you get that too with a lot of the guys that uh, have, uh, you know, had a father in the business or a grandfather in the business. I mean, there's got to be that sort of mindset uh, and, and just the way you react in day to day life. I mean, being a kid uh, 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 or a spouse of a pro wrestler, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, not to be the, uh, you know, the kids of Bob the mechanic down the road this was a whole different level man well greg also has a deep deep respect for johnny valentine as a wrestler he, he's he's spoken to me about this many times he's like my dad was great and greg in his prime i saw greg headline the garden you know i saw him go an hour with backland you know i saw him headline with tito I mean, Greg in his prime was great. I mean, you know, now he's not a kid and he slowed down considerably. But, you know, so he takes great pride in wrestling as an art. And, I, I, you know, I get, I get from many people, as somebody involved in the arts, people like, what's an intelligent fellow like you doing involved in that ridiculous wrestling? And I'm like, listen, listen, you know, <laughs> I go, what Vince McMahon does with WWE is, 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 not, is not what, what I'm into. I, I, I was watching Okada and Kenny Omega the other night, and these are amazing athletes, amazing. I mean, you know, just tremendous. What, what Greg and Tito were doing 30 years ago, what Morocco was doing, I, I mean, these are unbelievable, you know, athletes and performers and wrestling is an art that some people will appreciate and some people won't and um you know it's the same as boxing like some people are like why are these guys punching each other in the face and and other people refer to it as the sweet science either you get it or you don't it's uh it's not for everybody but you know so getting back to my original point yes Greg, Greg had great admiration and respect for Johnny, and this is the life that he understood. And when he was very young in the business, Don Fargo, who's also in the movie, they were the fabulous Fargo. So he had this older wrestler who had main evented the garden and main evented around the world, mentoring him. And you know they're on the road, and the guy's a wild guy, and it's it's a different 
way of looking at the world. You know, some people need the stability and the benefits and the pension and other people get in their car and they drive to the next gig. And this is kind of what this movie's about. And, you know, it, it is what it is. The good, the bad, and the ugly of pro wrestling. And we think we captured it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's the best and worst of everything, pro wrestling, mm-hmm. to be in that life. The best and worst of everything. It's, uh, it's a very strange but wonderful but brutal business. That's the best way I could explain it. In Hollywood, we call it high concept. Can you explain something in 10 words or less? Superman takes on Batman. <laughs> you know, re- wrestling is a strange but beautiful but brutal business. I'm going to bring Mike, uh, Michael McCurdy back into the conversation. Sure, sure. Mike, uh, you have some more questions uh, here for uh, Mr. Evan Ginsberg. As we uh, head into the home stretch here, we get some time uh, on the program on wrestling memories then and now. Um, I'd like to ask Evan, I follow you on Facebook, and um, if anybody who reads your posts and all that, you are a very outspoken critic of the current wrestling scene. Um, besides the obvious differences, comparing what you've seen from 350 Days, what you've done with the wrestler, and today's scene, not just WWE, but like the indie scene, what are some of the differences? Because a lot of the indie guys that I see at shows now, they talk about, oh, I've got a, you know, two-hour drive back home, or I've got this. But the lifestyle now is decidedly different from the lifestyle back then. And I'm just kind of curious what your view on is it, is, like I said, being the, uh, the kind of the critic of the current scene that you are. Well, it, it's, it's complicated. Um, I honestly think today is a golden age of professional wrestling where – you could sit in the comfort of your living room and watch New Japan World, watch some of the greatest wrestlers in the world live, you know, in your living room, where you could watch uh, Ring of Honor on a club, where you see tremendous, tremendous wrestling, where there's unlimited streaming services, where there's great wrestling, where there's indie wrestling virtually every weekend in major cities, where you could go out and, you know, and... The, the, the talent varies, and some are quite green, and some may be washed up, but it's fun to go to that local arena for 10, 15, 20 bucks and be there. And um, what I don't particularly care for is the commercialized WWE, where in a three hour Raw or a three hour pay per view or a three hour house show, maybe you're going to see 30 minutes of good wrestling. You know, to me, that's not a great value, but I understand if, you know, you're entranced by the pyro and the entrances and the, uh, actually, they don't even use pyro anymore, WWE, but if you, you know, like WrestleMania, the WrestleMania experience, there's Triple H coming in on a motorcycle, and I'm like, dude, it's like, you know, $1,000, a ticket, you know, it should be spectacular, but I want to see great wrestling like Okada and, um, and Omega. That's, I, I want to see Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. I want to see Nigel McGuinness and Brian Danielson, now Daniel Bryan. I want to see Dory Funk and Jack Briscoe. I want to see great wrestling. You know, I don't care about the entrances and the costumes and the stilted promos and the endless commercials and cutting in the middle of a match to a commercial and killing the flow of it. it you know, it's 
I mean, I, I think I'm very fair, actually. I, you know, it's, you're, you're being critical of a billion-dollar corporation. I'm not, I love wrestling. I love it. I'll go out and support the little guys from here to tomorrow. It's, uh, I love Ring of Honor, and I, lo- I love going to the local Elks Lodge and seeing the guys who are going to be the stars in the future or the guys who were the stars in the past down at the local arena. I love wrestling. I think wrestling is, you know, the king of sports, as we used to say. But, um, you know, I don't want to go to Madison Square Garden. This actually happened a few shows back. I go to a WWE show, and there's Gallows and Anderson. They come out, and they sing with Elias and do bad comedy and walk away and don't wrestle. I'm like, this is one of the great tag teams in the world. They came out, did bad shtick, and didn't wrestle. It's like I wanted to put a gun to my head. <laughs> you know, as an old school fan, I'm just like, this is not what I want to see. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I don't think it's being unfair. I, I totally agree. Um, I'm going to ask one more question before I pass it over to Glenn, and I'm sure we're coming to the, the wrap of our show. But this is something I'm kind of wondering about, and I'm sure a lot of our fans are listening to the show wonder. After the Ram Jam and the wrestler, what happens to Randy the Ram Robinson? Uh, in your in your mind, what would you like? You know, it, I think everybody has even, their it's own. It's not it's not even in my mind. The, the screenwriter told me, and I, you know, look, uh, it's very clear that he's either going to die right there or he's going to die soon. That's the screenwriter's intention. I mean, it's it's there. It's pretty it's pretty clear. Um, I, that's basically. Uh, I don't think there's any deep, dark secret 10 years later, but that's pretty much what the uh, screenwriter told me. <laughs> it's, uh, it, you hear his heart pounding. He's, he's, he's got numbness in his arm. He's about, he looks sickly, and that's pretty much it. He's either going to die there or he's going to die later because there's no place for him in the real world. He can't function in the real world. That's the character. He loses his girlfriend. He loses his daughter. Um, you know, all he knows is wrestling. So um, I, I hope ten years later they won't be angry at me for saying that. But, I, but that's that's the story. You got you got the scoop here. So uh, there we go. We got we got we got the scoop. I was just I had a little lighthearted question on that one. But. Once again, I, I love that movie. I've seen it so many times, and honestly, it is a very fair portrayal of just that indie scene because I've been around that for you know twenty something years, and I've seen all of it. So, but it was a I great love, film. I, love, I am looking forward you, to three hundred fifty so days as well. Thank you so much. I love going down to the local indies and hanging out with the boys and hanging out with the fans. It, it, you know, support indie wrestling, support indie film support indie everything and if you don't mind let me just quickly say this is a fathom event it's only one night so what's going to happen you when you walk in that theater there's going to be trivia and facts on screen then jj dylan comes out and introduces the movie then it's a full-length movie almost two hours and then after the movie i'm on screen for 20 minutes interviewing jj and we did this interview right after bruno died who was jj's close friend so even this is very emotional He's talking about Bruno and Piper and the Horsemen, of course. And J.J.'s comparing wrestling then and now. And interestingly enough, at 75 years old, 
he's quite favorable about today's wrestling. He's like, these guys are doing things that the boys couldn't have dreamt of 30, 40 years ago. And a guy like Daniel Bryan, the moves that these guys are making. So um, he's very open-minded, and, and I try to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we have the time here. Uh, the big event's coming up here July 12th, the big premiere of... 350 days now evan aside from uh, your work uh, on this documentary you've got your own little thing going on and this is the time where i'm gonna allow you to plug what you've got going on just let us know about your programs and online and whatever platforms we can find them uh the floor is yours my friend oh thank you so much it's very kind of you um i do a show called the evan ginsburg show the appropriately named evan ginsburg show throws connection radio.com sundays 11 a.m and um we um, interview various people in the arts and the proletarian performance art, the theater for the people, professional wrestling. So uh, we have wrestlers, we have rappers, we have actors, we have singers. It's an interesting mishmash. VillageConnectionRadio.com, um, Sundays, 11 a.m. I'm also a staff writer at ProWrestlingStories.com, which is a great site if you like the old school stuff. They have tons of history and it's like well written it's a very high level website and um i just recently did a piece on uh, nicole bass who was a dear friend of mine johnny valiant um you know these these are good friends that we've lost and um basically um you know please come out july 12th it's one night only it's fathomevents.com um you could go to fathomevents slash 350 days you could go to um, 350daysthemovie.com, all the information's there, trailers, uh, promo reels, you know, all the info, and we, uh, we appreciate everybody's support. And, and again, you know, The Wrestler was shot on $6 million, and this was done on far less than that. These are indie films, so we really do appreciate guys like you supporting it, and, and the fans, please, you know, pass the trailers around. We need, like, grassroots. We don't have a million-dollar publicity budget. You know, we just need people to know about it and come out July 12th and support it. And that's how indie films, you know, survive and flourish. It's, uh, we're not the Avengers. We're not, <laughs> we're not Star Wars. You know, we, we need everybody behind it and appreciate it. Okay, and I and I just want to thank you for for taking the time to to talk about uh, this wonderful documentary that I look forward to to seeing. If I don't get a chance on July twelfth, I'm hoping to get it uh, at home, watch it, uh, stream it, whatever way I can get to it because. Uh, it sounds like so much time and so much care has been in done in the making of this that it, it's definitely five one of those years. five years. That's five a years. brother. As that Ernie Ladd would say, "The great Ernie Ladd, you missed the birth of your mother and father. Don't miss this." <laughs> well, it's been a wonderful uh, hour, action-packed as always on wrestling memories then and now. Uh, I want to thank, of course, uh, um, the man down there in his mobile studio. I hope he hasn't melted down yet because it, you know it's awful warm in Texas in the summertime. It's awful warm in Texas, period. But I want to thank the grizzled veteran Mike McCurdy. Michael, it's always uh, an honor to have you on, and the sacrifices you made have not been overlooked. He's sacrificing for um, his art, Mike McCurdy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's what I'm doing. No, I enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed talking with Evan. Uh, we will post this on our Facebook page. Once again, folks, just look for Wrestling Memories then and now on Facebook. Like the page. We'll have a link to this show. And for anyone listening who is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Richmar at the Fort Worth Theater, I believe, um, 
Rave Cinemas, Dallas, Arlington, and Fort Worth will be carrying the film July 12th. I'm hoping to be there. If you're there, you listen to the show, come look for me. Say hi. Let me know if you listen to our show. <laughs> Sounds good, and, my uh, friend. Which of the falls also, the uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame is going to do something with it also. It's still, we're still working out the details. Well, that's it. We're done. The timekeeper has given me the hint. It's time to ring the bell on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. For the grizzled veteran Michael McCurdy and our guest, Mr. Evan Ginsberg, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now.